Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 43, Wolf in the Fold. Somewhere between the house on Pooh Corner and the cabin in the woods. This is Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week we take apart an episode of Star Trek, like a guy gutting a carp with a big scary knife, picking out the meat of the issues, and sometimes even chewing on the bones. See what I did there? We would, of course, love it if you did the same thing along with us and uh, tell us what you think. There are a few ways to get in touch. You can reach us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter at the handle Mission Log Pod. Or you can call us, 323-522-5641. That number again is 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com is the email address. And don't forget to check out our very nice home on the web, missionlogpodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And you know what we haven't done in quite a while, John? What's that? We haven't told people, uh, you know, the ways that they can watch. I mean, the cool thing is... For a long time, I mean, you basically had to remember Star Trek. <laughs> and, you know, in this, in this crazy, hyper-connected world that we live in today, you don't have to remember anything anymore. There are so many ways that people can watch right now. You know, I remember, uh, well, not remember, I, I still, I have friends who were fans from back in the day, and they would actually record on audio tape, on reel-to-reel, just the audio from Star Trek so they could have a record of it. This sure. Is- days before vhs and dvd and all that good stuff um but you can watch it a lot of ways now you can watch it on amazon netflix the blu-rays the dvds there's really just innumerable ways to catch up on star trek with us yeah there seem to be if you're not watching star trek at this point it's it's only because you don't want to (laughs) and if you're listening to this show really do not want to watch star trek (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's. I think it's good to remind people from time to time and, of course, to let people know how to get in touch with us. And, um, you know, one thing that people really seem to love are the little, are the little uh, nuggets of trivia uh, brought to you every week by Mr. John Champion. You know, we should have that. That should be sponsored. I like it. John yeah. Champion's Nuggets of Trivia. Brought to you by Kennel Ration. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, so this week we're doing Wolf in the Fold, and just in a nutshell, before we get into the story, our landing party is down on a planet, murders happen, Scotty might be guilty. Um, so trip- <laughs> That's yeah. not your recap, is it? No, that's not my recap. That could practically be your recap. I just wanted people on the same page before right. we to it here. So John Fiedler, who is the prominent guest star in this episode, uh, was a very well-known character actor. Um, in fact, he worked right up until, uh, I believe, The Emperor's New Groove Part 2 was the uh, the last thing that he did. But before that, um, he was very well-known for his voice acting work. He was Piglet in all of the Disney animated Winnie the Pooh adventures. I, I think it was over the course of 30 years or something that he was that character. Uh, But before that, he did just about every 60s, well, more than that, 50s to 70s TV show you can think of. Uh, Dobie Gillis, Get Smart, I Spy, Perry Mason, 
of course, Star Trek. Uh, so he's very recognizable. And as soon as I saw him on screen again, I had to go hit IMDb because I knew that I had seen him in a lot of stuff. And you actually mentioned a couple to me that are your favorites. Well, I don't know if they're favorites, but I mean, I remember him from the TV show Buffalo Bill. And that has nothing to do with the fact that I live in Buffalo at this point. I just, for some reason, I remember him being in that show. He was the sort of technical director guy. He always walked around with a headset. But he was also one of the uh, 12 Angry Men in uh, 12 Angry Men. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean, quite a pedigree. It, it's funny, though, because you're right. For, for people of a certain age, you know, you and me, <laughs> I mean, he's going to come out and, you know, he might be playing just the nicest guy in the world. He might be playing a psychopathic killer. He's mm-hmm. Piglet. Yeah, right. He'll always be Piglet. You close your eyes and Captain Kirk is squaring off with Piglet. Yep. (laughs) Um, Speaking of squaring off with a psycho killer, um, this episode is written by Robert Block, and I've mentioned him a few times before because, of course, he is the man who wrote Psycho. And uh, in here, he takes a turn at uh, some dark material. What I found very interesting, and I'm very glad to say that we have another uh, discovered document from the Roddenberry archives, we have the first draft by Robert Block. So before it went into script stage, we have the original story. A lot of really cool little details. I don't want to spoil them all. Again, I want people to go read it and really absorb it all. But a a few of the main points that I wanted to pick out. Uh, First of all, Sybil became Sibbo. So they they took away the name Sybil and renamed her Sibbo. And you will hear uh, how that plays out in the story. Um, The most important, the most incredible change here is that the entire story was originally written around Sulu. And now they just completely change it and make it Scotty. It would be very interesting to see how this would have played out with Sulu. I don't know the uh, decision making behind changing it to Scotty, um, but they did. (laughs) So you can go read the original draft with Sulu in there. Um, And I have to say that just my initial impression after reading the draft is that the scenes on the Enterprise where things get scary seemed much more terrifying in the description because they are describing things literally happening that we would see on camera like turbo lifts just falling and uh, doors shutting on people, you know, all these things going crazy to terrify people. And there's no mention of tranquilizers in that script. So people are experiencing all of that. And uh, one other thing is at the end of the show, they tried to mess up the entity with logic rather than running the calculation for pi. I'm not sure what the big deal is about pi. I've calculated it to the last digit many times. It's just 3.14159265358979323846264333. Prologue. It looks like the Enterprise crew is taking a little time for R&R in a Moroccan restaurant. Well, actually, it's Scotty, McCoy, and Kirk at a little night spot on Angelius 2, enjoying the dancing of a lovely young woman. Scotty has just been in an accident on the ship, and he's recuperating by ogling her gyrations. Kirk invited the dancer over to the table, and Scotty couldn't be more ready to take her for a little walk and discuss the, uh, the fog. Kirk and McCoy head out to another joint that Kirk knows, but before they can get there, a scream rings out in the mist. They find the young dancer stabbed to death, and nearby is Scotty holding a knife. 
Act 1. Argelius 2 is such a chill place, so intent on pleasure, that they don't really have a good way of dealing with inconveniences like murder. Even their administrative functions are handled by outsiders like a Rigelian, Mr. Hengist. Scotty isn't helping too much, though. He simply doesn't remember a thing. The evidence is there. He was holding the knife. His fingerprints are there. Still, he just doesn't know what happened. And by law, he can be held and tried on Argelius. Kirk is willing to go along with this to get to the bottom of what happened. We now meet the prefect, Jaris, and his wife, Sibo. As Kirk is trying to understand the law, he is told that the law is love. Okay, but that makes for a very short rule book, and it might be kind of hard for a lawyer to argue. This isn't the traditional earthbound kind of law, though, obviously. The Argelians have a kind of empathic power that they'll use. Kirk agrees, and in the meantime, Lieutenant Tracy beams down at Kirk's request with a psycho tricorder meant to do a little analysis of Scotty's mental state. They head off into a back room just about the time Sibbo asks to see the murder weapon so she can get a feel for it before her session. Where is that murder weapon anyway? Cue the scream from the back room. Lieutenant Tracy is dead. We know because Dr. McCoy told us so. Act 2. Scotty is still... Well, he's just not remembering anything. Mr. Hengist brings in two other possible suspects, a musician who was in the club the night of the dancer was killed, and another man who was her fiancé. They are dismissed as the musician was the dancer's father, and the fiancé's jealousy was... Well, the Argelians don't dig on jealousy. Oh, and also, someone else is dead, and Scotty keeps holding the knife. Time to get the seance-like procedure going. Kirk has the room sealed, so no one can get in or out. This isn't exactly conventional, and Scotty would rather face a computer, but Kirk is being all culturally sensitive, see? We knew he had it in him. Everyone sits at a circular table holding hands. Sibbo goes into essentially a trance-like state and immediately picks up on the spooky vibes all around. There's an evil presence looming, she says. Then she repeats some odd-sounding names, Baratus, Kesla, Rejek. No, I didn't just give an order to Gort. These are the names she picks up representing some kind of evil force. The lights go out, a scream is heard. Oh no, we know where this is going. Sibbo is very much dead, and Scotty is once again holding the knife. He even has her blood on his hands. But hey, let's not jump to conclusions. We should really be calm and rational and get to the bottom of this. Even you, Prefect Janice, whose wife just got killed right at the table where you're sitting only moments ago. Kirk wonders if Scotty's injury on the Enterprise may be at play. In any case, Scotty doesn't remember a thing. Kirk convinces Jaris to use the Enterprise computers, which apparently can reveal a person's thoughts and determine lies from truth. Since we clearly have no idea after all these murders who did it, this sounds like a good idea to Jaris, but the death penalty remains in effect for the guilty party. Wow, so much for a planet of pleasure. Act 3. The computer determines that Scotty does not remember what happened during the murders, but that won't determine innocence or guilt, only that he doesn't remember. He does remember more about Sibbo's death, that he went toward her and something, not someone, was there too. This is a step forward, but he still doesn't remember the other two murders. 
Let's try a different clue. Remember those three mysterious words Sibo repeated? Spock Googles them. Okay, well, it's not Google, but he asks the computer to look into several data banks, and it does come back with a very interesting hit. Regek is a pseudonym for Jack the Ripper, that infamous mass murderer of women. Regek, though, turns out to be an entity, a being from another planet that transfers its energy into or onto other beings to carry out murder and general mayhem. It feeds off death, and more importantly, fear. Spock even goes so far as to figure out that the Regek entity has the ability to hide itself from anyone except for its victims. It has done this across the centuries and across planets, leaving a wake of unsolved murders that would amaze even Robert Stack. One of the most recent locations for murders was Rigel 4, which just happens to be Mr. Hengist's home. The jig is up. And Mr. Hengist, inhabited by Regek, tries to fight his way out of there, but Kirk punches him hard enough to kill him, apparently. Regek is loose, and it has now inhabited the Enterprise computer. Act 4. Regek is creating all kinds of havoc, taunting the crew through the PA system on board and playing around with the ship's controls. They will surely crash and die at some point, but Regek is enjoying and feeding off the fear it instills in others. Owen McCoy is now going around the ship to shoot up the crew with a tranquilizer to eliminate their feelings of fear. Sulu looks about as happy on this as he did when he was of the body. Spock sees an opportunity to bust out with some serious nerd foo. Since Regek is inside the computer, he tells the computer to calculate the value of pi. It can't be done, since the number would go on forever. Regek leaves the computer and back in the conference room, as the last doses of tranquilizer are given out, it jumps into Prefect Jarus for a moment, and then into the lifeless body of Hengist. He tries to take a hostage, but Kirk overpowers him, and McCoy enters a shot of the downers. Now subdued, Kirk grabs Hengist's body and takes him to the transporter room. He beams Hengist out into space at wide dispersion, which means atomic particles of that guy are going to be floating all over the place. Let's hope he was dead. They didn't <laughs> a good point as to whether he was dead or not. McCoy says that he's dead, and then they pick his lifeless body up, sit him in a chair. Yeah. And then when Regic comes back, see, I I didn't quite get that, because either Hengist is Regic, or Regic just goes around and inhabits people whether they're alive or dead, I guess. Well, well, that's what's happening, yeah. Regic is is jumping from body to body. Now, the question is, how long was Hengist dead? Well, right. Because, uh, what's his name? Um... You know, the guy that you were just talking about? <laughs> the guy from uh, the guy from the planet. Yeah, the prefect, Jarus. The, the prefect, thank you. Jarus uh, is inhabited by Regek briefly, and he doesn't drop dead when Regek leaves. Right. But, and that's when it, well, then Scotty, obviously, you know, uh, Regek jumps into Scotty multiple times and jumps back out. And when he does that, is Hengist okay? Yeah, I don't know. Or Hengist is lying dead someplace until, uh, right. until Regek needs to hide in that body again. It's like a really weird form of narcolepsy, but he just dies. <laughs> Act when Regic shows up again. Yeah, even though everybody else will be fine. Right. Except for the people who get murdered. They're not fine. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they, they, they kind of got a bad way to go. It's interesting to me. You said, um, okay, so this planet, which is all about pleasure, theoretically, although we'll get into this planet in a, in a pretty hardcore way here pretty soon. 
Um, you say that this planet is all about pleasure, but they do still have the death penalty. You kind of glossed over that. They don't. They don't have the death penalty. Let's be clear. Yeah, they're not just going to kill you. They're going to slowly, painfully torture you to death. That's well, yeah. that's that's their punishment. It's not like I mean, you know, we we like to think here that we're fairly humane about our execution, and you know, there are arguments about. I've never understood why you don't just OD somebody on heroin instead of giving them that you know thousands of dollars of, of lethal injection cocktail because they would probably have more fun and it's certainly cheaper. Sure. But um, but on this planet, it's not like, no, no, no. Uh, we, we really don't like the idea of killing people, but if we're gonna, death's too good for him. Let's make sure it hurts too. Right, right, right. Well, and I'm trying to be culturally sensitive here. Okay. Saying, okay, it's, it's a planet of pleasure. Yep. Maybe this is just another kind of pleasure. That's true. There's got to be some guy going, yeah, this place is great, but I really wish I could just hurt somebody for a very long time until they stop breathing. Right. <laughs> That's terrible. You don't get a lot of those visitors, I would guess, too. Yeah, no, I wouldn't think so. Um, Scotty has some great moments throughout this episode. You know, we, we've really seen Scotty grow as a character and have a lot more to do, and uh, including taking command of the Enterprise, which has been nice. And he's, uh, he, he's pained by the fact that he doesn't know what's going on. I think he plays that well throughout this episode. How about you? Um... Wow, we're gonna do this now? No, honestly, I was a little disappointed. He was kind of cardboard, but really? I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I honestly thought so. I mean, the whole thing where he's like smiling, goofy at the dancing woman, and then you know when <laughs> like he's he's applauding, but he's applauding by banging on the table, and Kirk tries to. Uh, you mentioned cultural sensitivity. No, no, on this planet they flash the lights. It's the lights yeah. when they want to applaud, and he's like, "Don't tell me how to applaud," and he goes back to banging the table. I mean, it's, it, he seemed fairly one-dimensional. Now, as far as how the whole episode starts, we cannot talk about that this second. But Oh, no, we, we'll get into that. Yeah, this is, a, this is sort of a flat-pressed uh, Scotty, as far as I was concerned. I mean, it's neat to see him get some screen time, and it's neat to see a good bit of the episode hinge on both you know, James Doohan and uh, on Scotty as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I like when he takes command more. I mean, this sort of felt like we need Scotty to be a tiny bit dumb this week, so... <laughs> Go to it, Jimmy. So do you um, think it would work better or worse with Sulu? Um, yeah. I think there might actually – see, again, we should probably hold off on that. But I think there are reasons you don't want to have the obviously um, different ethnicity Sulu be the shifty killer. Right. Or suspected of the shifty killer. I mean, it would have been interesting to see because we haven't had a lot from uh, George Takei at this point as far as acting. I mean, he gets to either act goofy or he gets to count down to things. You know, um, so it might have been neat to see a bit more from him. But I, I certainly I certainly understand the cultural sensitivity of saying, hey, maybe we don't make the Japanese guy the one who's going around killing everybody. Let's make the Scott. Yeah, exactly. Well, the white guy. I mean, yeah. I mean, really is what it comes down to. Um, I, I want to say if I were building a starship and, and, you know, nobody's asking me to. Or nope. even, even if I were building the computer that runs a starship, one of the first things I would do uh, for people who have iPhones. Well, first of all, I envy you. But second, um, for people who have iPhones, there are things that you can, you know, ask Siri to do. Right. And Siri will come back and say, don't be silly. Or, you know, we'll say, I can't do that. Right. Right. One of the first fail safes I would put in in a computer that runs a starship is don't let anybody tell you to figure out how to calculate pi. Because that is, I mean, that's, I mean, if, if it's really that easy to stymie the Enterprise computer, it is amazing that that thing ever got out of... Um, well, space dock or dry dock or whatever they call it. 
Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I was sort of like, that's like the idiot's guide to, uh, you know, <laughs> mental jujitsu. Yeah. Well, I mentioned that in the uh, in the original notes, th- that scene is just Kirk and Spock feeding information to the computer about logic and human ethics. And, and they're hoping they can kind of out logic Regic into seeing the error of its ways. So it's kind of like Kirk talking down a computer, only they're just feeding that information to their own computer to confuse Regic. You know, they, they went for something a little more simple. That you know today though that would have been really interesting. That's almost like uh, running a debugging program, or mm. you know running sort of like virus scan. Right, right. If you could get the enterprise computer to weed out um, Redjack as a virus, that's a uh, well. That would have been very forward thinking for a for a nineteen sixty eight TV show. Certainly, very true. So I do have to mention, though, I think I've said it before when we've come across an energy being of some sort that I'm I'm really never too happy when Star Trek says you have an energy monster, because to me, energy is a measurement of capacity to do work. It's not a it's not a thing that floats around and jumps from one body to another or from one computer to another. And this is me liking a little more sci in my sci fi, but. I, you know, I'm willing to suspend disbelief enough, um, but you know, I, I I can't remember the other episode where I said it, but it it does bother me. Hmm. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't want to give away too much. I mean, there are, there are any number of things that one might like or that one might be bothered by in this hmm. episode. That's sort of a surprising one to me, especially because we've had things like. I don't know. We've had things like the the the, the cloud and metamorphosis, or the cloud and obsession. Which yeah. I mean, the cloud and obsession it could go back and forth between matter and energy. I mean, between existing and not existing, according to Spock at one point. So remember, the the cloud had a gaseous cloud like existence, and then presumably a solid or rock like existence. But it had properties. You know, it it, it had. Maybe it couldn't be contained in certain areas, but it, it had properties. You you could see it. You could shoot through it. We knew that antimatter would affect it. You know, it had things that could be measured and tested. And this is a sort of like, oh, it's energy. Well, and, I mean, it, it can be a, a murderous entity. <laughs> Whatever we say it is. Well, I mean, that's just kind of a shorthand thing, though. I mean, there was... um. Oh, I can't remember which one it was, but in the next generation, which I know we're not going into, so we wouldn't have to take it into next generation if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Just because it has properties that we can't see doesn't mean it doesn't have properties. I mean, we're not taking a lot of time. Science officer Spock is not terribly interested in doing the science because they got very little time. They're killing a bunch of people. And I don't want to fault Spock for that. I think he's just tired of asking. <laughs> but there may well be, you know, some way that or something that that is that we're not seeing it that that is measurable. Yeah, and that part doesn't bother me because I, I'll just go ahead and make up the science, kind of like they do on Star Trek sometimes. <laughs> okay, all yeah. right. Yeah. Now, I will I will say um, I did wonder, though, if it was maybe a form of the thing for metamorphosis, except uh, Regic does apparently go throughout the galaxy, mm-hmm. whereas uh, the thing in metamorphosis, of course, had to uh, had to stay on the planet that it was on, hence leaving, uh, leaving uh, Zephram Cochran there, too. Yeah. Well, and you could also draw a parallel between this and the cloud-like entity from Obsession that we just talked about. You know, mm-hmm. it, Kirk mentions a different home planet, um, and this episode was shot well before Obsession, uh, just because of the the uh, production order versus the air date order. 
And, um, yeah, you know, his description, Kirk's description of having experienced a thing like this is not unlike uh, obsession. Also, he wouldn't have noticed the uh, honey sweetness because they're basically in a strip club. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, they're, you know. It's like perfume, glitter, and sadness. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which, which I think was actually going to be. Um, mm-hmm. Originally, that was going to be uh, Shatner's memoir title. Oh, yeah. That was- <laughs> Or maybe that's mine. I'm not sure. Um, I will say one thing really quickly. You you joked about uh, the fact that um, when he's put on the tranquilizer, Sulu is about as happy as, as he was um, when he was of the body. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was actually reminded again of uh, Seti Omicron 3, although really what I was reminded of um, <laughs> was uh, Krieger from Archer. If you haven't watched, if you haven't watched Archer... Uh, Krieger is sort of the scientist that works for this, um, like, uh, spy agency. And he's always supposed to give people, like, oh, give them something to calm them down. And then, you know, they end up sort of climbing the walls. Because it turns out he's running some sort of, like, secret experimental something or other. Mm. Yeah, so's Bones. Because he's not walking around tranquilizing people. I mean, I'm expecting, you know, if he's doing this, maybe give him half a Valium or something like that. Something's just going to take the edge off, right? He injects them and... As you say, I mean, they are practically of the body, or they, it, it, it's as if, you know, it's like he's weaponized the spores from SETI Omicron 3. Yeah. <laughs> so that you can just go and, like, quick shoot somebody up. Um, I know they did that so that the Enterprise wouldn't be destroyed, but they're all such clowns <laughs> the second they get injected. I yeah. think he's really just rolling the dice. Okay, so who's going to destroy us? Is it going to be our very happy crew or the mass murdering energy being? Two six four three three eight three two seven nine five zero two eight eight four one nine seven one six nine three nine nine three seven five one zero five eight two zero nine. So can when in doubt, um, I think we can always turn to Spinal Tap to uh, to give us some important words, maybe to impart what we're thinking about an episode. So uh, I thought of two lines from Spinal Tap right away, and that's um, what's wrong with being sexy. No, 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 no. Sexist. And the other line that I thought of was, there's a fine line between clever and stupid. Yeah. Some reason, those two lines stuck out to me as watching Wolf in the Fold. Well, I mean, first of all, they they follow each other, I think, about 30 seconds in Spinal Tap, maybe. It's it's part of that same conversation. But but the other thing is, yeah. I, I'm not offended when we start off and there's a belly dancer there, honestly. That doesn't bother me because these things exist. That happens. And yeah. honestly, I mentioned strip clubs earlier. I don't know how you feel about them. They're out there. They exist. I think there are people who are sort of reprehensible and awful who go to them. And I think there are people who are totally fine who go to them. I mean, it's really a matter of what you take away. Is it a sexist thing? Yeah, probably. Um, I would say most strip clubs are not as sexist as this episode of Star Trek. Um, the premise on which this episode is built is is paper thin. I mean, let's just start with that. Scotty is suffering, and this is, I think is why I was, I was not as sold on James Doohan's performance as you were. Um, Scotty is suffering from a blow to the head uh, mm-hmm. that was caused by an explosion. But that explosion was caused by a woman. Ugh. So now yeah. Scotty has total resentment towards women. Yeah. That's a diagnosis. All of a sudden. So I, had, I had to go back and rewind that. Yeah. Did they really just say that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, there's actually, there's another part that I had to rewind, but we'll get to that in a bit. 
Um, yeah, so Scotty, who has been like, you know, Sir Francis Drake, was it Sir Francis Drake who would like throw his cape over puddles so that people... Sure. I think it was. It was, it was either Drake or Raleigh, you know, because I, I get them confused. And he only did that for uh, Queen Elizabeth. I don't think he did it for every woman that walked by. My goodness, he would run out of capes in a day. Um, Scotty, though, who has been all about you know, protecting women. I mean, he got slapped back by Nomad. He got slapped back by Apollo. And all of that was this season, right? Mm-hmm. Suddenly now, though, there was an explosion caused by a woman. So now Scotty doesn't hate explosions. He doesn't fear mechanical stuff. He just <laughs> has resentment of women. Okay. You know what's going to make him all better? Take him to a strip club. Yeah. No, better still, take him to a planet that is built entirely on... Well, theoretically, it's a planet built entirely on pleasure. But the only things we see are women-pleasing men. Mm-hmm. Now, it's quite possible that there are other clubs where, you know, Yeoman Rand and, 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 and Dr. Noel and, you know, all the other women that we've come across on Star Trek... All my favorites, ...are going yes. to that club. I hope. Yeah, yeah but, but mostly what we get is a bunch of men either running things or, or you know, or being administrative people, like, at the club. You know, the men are musicians, they're yeah. not particularly enjoying it. They're just playing music so that the women can dance, so that the men who are visiting uh, can be pleased. So that's a tiny bit sexist. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'm on the same page with you because when this started, I thought, okay, so belly dancer, guys just having fun watching the belly dancer. We're on a pleasure planet. You could say that, all right, here we are in the mid to late 60s sexual revolution. We're going to say something or do something within this episode that is kind of a, a forward-thinking thing about um, how we handle the idea of pleasure and sexuality. Cool. That's great. But it didn't turn into that at all. In fact, it just got to a point of being really creepy sexist for me. It, there was this whole, like, boys club feel yeah. throughout the entire episode that was very unnerving. You know, even when you excuse the idea of just a sexually liberated crew on a sexually liberated planet, okay, fine, thumbs up to that. Um, In fact, they even had that interesting discussion about jealousy as being something that is just kind of taboo on their planet. Um, Not not something that is totally gone from their planet, but it's looked on with very low regard. Yeah. It's something that they work they work hard to to get rid of. I mean, I'm curious. We don't really know much about this society. I mean, what we know what we know about this society is it puts out. Yeah, I mean, and that's really it. I mean, we are told by Bones that they're a very hedonistic society, but I'm not seeing evidence of that. I'm seeing mm-hmm. evidence of. I mean, and and this sort of it almost goes back to uh, was it Shore Leave? Is that the one with the amusement planet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It almost goes back to that. Who's paying for this? I mean, it's like, does the Enterprise pull up and have to, like, you know, uh, produce some gems to give them or something like that? Because the planet can't really just be there for everybody's pleasure who passes by. I right. mean, unless there's some sort of, you know, commerce something or other. Unless that's how the planet gets its kicks. I have no idea. But I didn't get the sense that it was a hedonistic society. I got the sense that it was it was set up to please men. Right. Which, I mean, and again, I don't, you know, I don't want to get into your kinks. But, I mean, there are some people who that's what they want to do, and certainly there are some men who all they want to do is please women. Uh, the idea of a whole society that does that, that's not hedonism. That's, that's. I mean, you say boys club, I would say almost an adolescent fantasy. Yeah. Now, I will also say that the sexism doesn't stop there, by the way. 
I don't know. How is it that how is it that Regic has has made his way across the galaxy? Killing women. They are preying on women, preying on women. It's not just killing, it, it's it's the fear. Feeding now, on the yeah. yeah, feeding on the fear, exactly. Now, I don't know about you, John, uh, but I have been afraid a time or two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, apparently, though, our fear, nothing close to the fear felt by a woman. So says Spock. Yes, yeah. yes. Women, says Spock, with a straight face, are more easily and more deeply terrified, generating more horror than the male of the species. That's it. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I have been silly scared sometimes. I, I would put my level of fear in some situations up against any woman any day. Yeah. And that's not just my competitive streak. I'm saying, yeah, the, the sexism in this episode is just is crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard to deal with. And I, and I had hoped for something better because, again, just the the premise of, OK, here's this planet. Here's what they do. You could go a direction that would actually be challenging and progressive and something indicative of the sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. But we just don't have that at all. In fact, it's completely backward. So maybe they thought they were doing that, but they just came nowhere near accomplishing that at all. Can we also talk about, I mean, uh, forgive me, because I know Bone sort of uh, prides himself on his ability to deal with uh, with, with uh, psychological issues. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded kind of of when Alt-Kirk attacked Yeoman Rand, mm-hmm. and then Logie Kirk comes in to confront her, and they're like, hey, talk about it. Talk about what happened. Come on, talk about what happened. Okay, right. so, so, so Scotty right now is having an issue with women. <laughs> For whom is it going to work out to put him alone with a woman? Either he's going to go crazy on her. I mean, honestly, they should have found him with a knife and gone, you know, maybe it should have occurred to us that he wasn't quite ready. Right. (laughs) Or, you know, Scotty's going to be freaked out and rocking in a corner because uh, she's going to make something explode on me. Right. Right. Which sounds bad now that I say it that way. It's kind of hilarious to me, though, that here he is caught red-handed caught you could not be more caught and they're holding a knife where they stabbed woman in front of you and every time that happens it was like well we need to make sure we do this by the rules <laughs> the conclusion scotty are you sure are you sure scotty that it wasn't you and you don't remember <laughs> well as fun. you as you pointed out though when we were talking before this show i mean this is this goes to the loyalty that um that everybody on the Enterprise feels for everybody else on the Enterprise. It was kind of like in court martial. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, he can't have done this because I know him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, that's, you know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of loyalty you would like to see. At the same time, he is, Kirk is also willing to live by the rules set up by the place that they are. I mean, he's sort of doing the one in Rome thing again. It's not just, well, my guy couldn't have done it. So if you'll excuse us, we're going to beam off your planet now and, and nuts to your rules. I mean, well, he's, he's willing to he's willing to sort of play it out for a while. It's funny about it, though, because they are culturally sensitive to that. And, and they're doing this thing, which yeah, to our eyes is I. I I, I don't know. I get, you could either say that it is intended to look um, silly to a uh, to a scientifically minded audience. Like, come on, we're going to solve this with a seance? No, we're not. Or it's supposed to just be an alternative here and say, well, actually, we do need to reveal important information and we're going to get to it by this mystical thing that this other culture does. But we end up back on the Enterprise and we end up with a computer 
that reads minds can, it can no it doesn't read minds well they they said they said earlier that they have a computer that can read the conscious and subconscious thoughts for the last 24 hours oh can, i forgot about that yeah yeah so they can do that but then we have the other computer in the courtroom that's a fancy lie detector right that's the one i was thinking of which are pretty much bogus <laughs> You know, um, guess nobody on this show got the memo or they just assume, well, in the future, we'll have perfected our lie detector technology. The one I mean, well, I want to back up to one thing really quickly. The seance didn't bother me because that just seemed to me to be the trappings of the way her um, (laughs) hypersensitivity works, let's say. I mean, if we're going to if we're going to accept the mind meld, then (laughs) I think we have to accept that that the women of this planet may have a bit or that this, you know, that some of the women of this planet may have a bit of a um a bit of an ability like that. It's just instead of, you know, instead of putting their hand on your face, you, you just have to hold hands with a bunch of people, which honestly um, feels preferable to me. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm done with that. Well, this may be a short entry for, uh, for the mission log this week. Time now to do that thing we do at the end where we try to figure out what the messages, morals, and meanings are of an episode and, uh, and whether or not the episode stands the test of time. I want to applaud this episode on one thing, which really? I know sounds weird because I, I, it felt like I was beating up on this episode, probably mostly because I was. Um, for the maybe five minutes that Regic is, is inhabiting the Enterprise, mm-hmm. it actually does approach scary. Yeah. Like I like I thought about Cat's Paw, which was supposed to be the Halloween episode, the scary episode. There is actually something scary about this episode. And yet, as you say, when you read the first draft, I mean, there are a lot of ways it could have been a lot more scary. Mm-hmm. I think we talked last week or maybe two weeks ago about um, Star Trek on a budget. This was Star Trek on a budget. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was very much. There are lots of still shots. There are lots of we're in the same room. There's very much we're talking about what's going on. The fog machine may have been the most expensive thing uh, in this episode. That said, even without seeing the, you know, the turbo lift suddenly go into free fall or without seeing somebody get, you know, caught in a door, there's a there's a scariness. And I don't know if it's they use sort of a pre echo and a multi voice kind of thing with Regek when Regek is actually in the computer. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a bit of tension before. Uh, Bones makes everybody goofy with his hypodermic. Um, I mean, it, it, Kirk is just like eyes forward. Yeah, stay at your post. Don't even don't even think about what's going on. And you start to see a little bit of tension because yeah, stuff's getting weird. That that five minutes or less approached something really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, there are the other forty three minutes with which to deal. <laughs> um. I could not agree with you more. Um, Yeah, we just spent 35, 40 minutes kind of beating up on this episode. (laughs) But I love the stuff with Regic in the computer. And and it's partly because of John Fiedler's voice work that he has this really sweet, pleasant voice otherwise. But then they distort it just enough that it makes it that much creepier. Like yeah. it, it wouldn't have been as creepier if it was like as creepy if it were just an angry, over the top, super heavy voice. But because he sounds the way he does, it's sort of like in a horror movie where you make the the evil entity a child. 
Yes. That's creepier than a guy coming at you with an axe. You yes. Know? So I loved all of that stuff. Uh, I feel like for some reason this show was maybe underexposed and then they fixed it in post. So there are a lot of shots, particularly on the planet, that just look bad. Like the, the color didn't look right. The, the exposure didn't look right. Um, but okay, whatever. You know, the scenes in the fog looked all right. The scenes at the beginning in the nightclub looked as good as any kind of uh, interior set that they do. Oh, and by the way, that music, I think, was the same music we have heard for, um, I want to say, Vina when she was an Orion slave girl in the cage. Yeah, it sounded familiar to me. It also reminded me, though, it reminded me a bit of the uh, fight music from A Mock Time. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. almost like a jazz version of that. Some callbacks to that. A Moroccan jazz version of, uh, of yeah. Well, I mean, which is interesting, actually, if you're talking about hypersexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, although maybe I was just maybe I was just missing <laughs> better music. I don't know. I mean, the music wasn't bad, but yeah. So is, you know, when you put the just repugnant uh, sexism of this show aside, there are things that I like. Love Regic. Um, I actually do like Scotty's or James Dewan's performance in this. Um, it, it is a pretty good whodunit murder mystery. Just when you go with that, when you go with the idea of an entity that goes from one person to another and you can't figure out who it is. And of course, it's the most innocent looking guy in there. Uh, Mr. Hengist. Yeah, but so, y- y- you see that coming, though, so soon. I mean, that's sort of the problem, too. But, um, I'm willing to give him that. I don't know. So there, there's stuff that I like, and I think that on the creepiness scale, it beats Cat's Paw any day of the week. Yeah, so, I agree with that. Although this, I mean, as we talked about, Cat's Paw was sort of the Scooby-Doo edition, and this is... I mean, those five minutes are really creepy. I mean, hats off to, uh, hats off to the guy who wrote Psycho. Turns out he knows how to write scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and who knew who who knew he had that in him so then it comes down to the question are there messages here other than the repugnant sexism no oh, well i mean i mean there's the whole loyalty thing there's the whole loyalty to your crew i mean kirk knows that scotty couldn't have done that so kirk's going to stand by scotty because you know there are a lot of people who would have said yeah you're holding a knife there's blood on your hands there's a dead person at your feet I'm going to go with you're spending some time here. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess maybe that's the one thing, but yeah, you know, that's hardly a message. That's just, no, I, I don't feel like there's a lot, there's a lot here, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I, I picked up on the loyalty thing and then I was trying to make something out of that cultural sensitivity that while the crew are on the planet, they're okay with going along with their laws, with their methods, but then that's countered by uh, the prefect allowing them to say, okay, yeah, we'll also go along with your methods and we'll we'll look at your evidence and we'll see what your computer comes up with. So there was a little exchange there, which was cool, but it really is just there to kind of serve the story to get them on the Enterprise and then get Regic into the computer. Well, I mean, it's not it's not completely uh, ridiculous, though, to think that the uh, – that- Jarus would have done that because they turn administration of their planet over to an off-planet person. Mm, oh yeah, I mean, true. they're at least they're at least that hedonistic, where they're like, uh, you know, really, I can't be trusted. So tell you what, let's hire a guy. And yeah. So then when Kirk comes in and says, "Well, I got an off-planet solution," oh, off-planet solution, I, I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah. Let's give that one a try too. Yeah. It, what's weird is this is it's not to me. 
and I think I've said this two or three times over the past two or three weeks, this episode isn't torturous, Mm -hmm. but it comes closer than the ones from the last two or three weeks, I think. Yeah, it's not tortuous unless you're an attractive young woman on uh, on our jealous. Well, I mean, as far as watching it, I mean, it's not, there have been bad, I still think Operation Annihilate is, I mean, that is the one that's burned into my eyes, you know? Like, when I close them, I still see, you know, fried eggs thrown on somebody's back, and it's just kind of <laughs> tragic. I would rather watch this again than Operation Annihilate, but what I'd really rather watch is The Corbin Might Maneuver. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, this week we've had enough trouble with Regic. How about next week we get into some trouble with Tribbles? Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at kitheory.com. Right, where was I? Oh yes, 253421170679. There. Finished. See? It's a piece of cake. And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.